Well, as always, I'm happy to be able to speak to you all this morning. And Ann McNeil moved this footrest, and I wanted to see what it was like to be John Cole behind here. So I was like, wow. <laughs> Man, I kind of like that. Uh, as most of you know, I teach a variety of courses at the college dealing with uh, theology and pop culture. Um, and I'd like to start with a story of, that, that I find kind of weird and fascinating. Um, this past year, I've been fascinated with a tempest brewing in a teapot within the Star Wars fandom. Now, I suspect the phrase Star Wars fandom has never been uttered before from the Houghton Wesleyan Church pulpit, so I better explain. The controversy swirls around the film The Last Jedi. I saw the movie. I thought it was okay. I even stayed awake for the whole film. Um, you might think that's setting the bar pretty low, but I'm getting to the age where if I sit for more than an hour, I'm probably going to fall asleep. Okay. Um, so if you haven't seen the movie, what I'm about to relate will even seem more strange to you, I suspect. Apparently, because this film contained some fairly radical plot twists, a group of Star Wars fans became so enraged to the point that they want to remake the film. Uh, since in their words, this is a quote, the core goal of Star Wars has been abandoned. <laughs> Just let that last sentence sink in for a moment, folks. The controversy is so serious that the director of the film has actually received death threats. And at the end of this June, two months ago, this rebel group claimed to have received over $13 million in pledges to remake the film. See, talk about Star Wars faith promise, right? <laughs> pledges, right? Uh, of course, this group doesn't have anything like the rights to remake Star Wars, but people who get angry at movies because they don't turn out the way they want, they don't think about those minor details, right? Uh, now, I have a confession <laughs> I can't resist trolling people like this. It's, it's too easy. It's too easy. You know, I heard they originally approached Danny DeVito to place uh, Han Solo. <laughs> you can blow up the Internet with comments like this, let me tell you folks. Now, if the lesser angels uh, of your nature ever get the better of you and you engage in this highly nefarious but entertaining pastime, this is what you will find. For these folks, this is not just a story. These people live out of the Star Wars universe. You know folks like this? Oh, my goodness. It's about freedom-loving, oppressed Rebels keeping up the fight against all odds, against dark totalitarian forces. These people understand who they are, their identity, and what they stand for, and their whole orientation toward the world. It's quite bizarre. Now, what I want to say to you this morning, uh, in view of the parables that were read for us, is this is how a good parable functions. They're not stories that merely teach 
lessons. There are stories in which you find yourself being picked up and carried along in which the plot and the characters begin to make sense of your world. A good parable will not leave you unchanged. Now, of course, a number of Jesus' parables are recorded for us throughout the Synoptic Gospel. Sometimes he's misunderstood. Sometimes people don't get the parable at all. Sometimes when they do get it, they're quite angry because they realize that it's directed towards them. In the passage from Matthew's Gospel that was read for us this morning, uh, we, we heard three parables, but actually the whole chapter is a series of parables. The sower, the weeds amongst the wheat, the mustard seed, the yeast... And then from our particular passage, the hidden treasure, the pearl of great price, the net of fish. Now Jesus has to explain a couple of these parables along the way. So when he asks his disciples, have you understood all this? Which refers, I think, to all of the parables that Matthew has sewn together in this chapter. It's kind of a conceit on their part when they say yes, because he's already given them part of the answer key. But then Jesus says something that I find very intriguing. He says, Therefore every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a household who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. I think... Jesus is asking more than simply, do you understand the content of these parables? I think he's also asking, do you see how they work? Can you look at the parables in which I've told and say, oh, Jesus, I see what you just did there. Because everyone who has been trained in the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who can bring out old treasures, but also new treasures. What you've been taught, what you already know and new treasures. There's a creative component here, I think, that Jesus is entrusting his followers with. Bible scholars are fond of pointing out how Jesus always takes familiar passages from the Old Testament and brings new life to them so his hearers can hear them uh, for the first time. But there's nothing particularly Old Testamentish about the parables that were read for us this morning. He's taking scenes from everyday life and using them to communicate what the kingdom of heaven is about. Planting crops, finding that perfect item you've been looking for, sending out wedding invitations, recovering livestock that have, followed, that have wandered off, and hauling in a load of fish. And every one of his followers who gets it is like the master of a household who is not only able to take Old Testament passages, but is able to take his parabolic imagination and to take what is commonplace and to use it in such a way that we can communicate what the kingdom of God is about. For people who maybe don't sow seeds or buy pearls or chase down livestock or net fish for a living. So maybe... God's kingdom is like a persistent cat who, because he was sure he was starving to death, sang the song of his people at 4.30 a.m. until the owner said, 
I will get up and grant this kitty some treats. So verily, his caterwauling will not wear me out. And there was great rejoicing. No, that's oddly specific. <laughs> but if you come to our house early in the morning, you may see some lights on. Okay. Is that too silly? I think that there are a lot of embodied or enfleshed parables around us just waiting to be told. So maybe the kingdom of heaven is like a family who leaves the comfort of home and friends for a far country And when they arrive, they plant seed on hard soil and patiently wait for a surprising harvest. And so Kevin and Cindy Austin pull up out of Houghton and move to the Czech Republic. And Martin and Sherry Hegeman move to that hard field of Niger to undertake kingdom work. Or maybe the kingdom of heaven is like a summer camp in which children who have been neglected and abused come to understand their royal parentage. So the Van Wicklands had a vision, what, 25 years ago? Of giving children like this a taste of the kingdom. In fact, what sparked the idea for this sermon was when Jamie Mullen last month was honoring the Van Wicklands from this very pulpit. uh, And he mentioned a story in which Doug Maley Uh, had commented on what he had seen at RFKC, and and he said, I think this is what heaven must be like. And I immediately started scribbling down notes, and I went to uh, Matthew chapter 13. Um, Of course, five minutes later, I started thinking about Return of the Jedi, whatever it was, but that's just the way my mind works, okay? you Um, You see what I'm saying, though? A parable is a story that opens up and communicates God's kingdom, and here's what the Star Wars fans have got right. It's not just a story. It's a story in which we can locate ourselves. So in Luke 14, for example, Jesus tells the story of the great banquet and how the invited guests one by one turned down the invitations. So the owner of the house said to the servants, What am I going to do with all this potato salad? Go out and round up the poor and the blind and round up hungry college students. And in the very next chapter, Jesus' critics accuse him, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. It's not just a story. Jesus is making this kingdom a present reality in the lives of people. If you read the Gospels carefully and you see how Jesus does this, you'll see how some, why some folks have called Jesus himself the parable of God. In his story, we see the fullness of the kingdom. The problem, of course, is when we give lip service to one set of parables, but our lives seem to be guided by another set that we really believe. And frankly, I think that much of the churches uh, today, the parabolic imagination has been hijacked. I mean, what if the kingdom of God was really like a vineyard owner who, when he paid those workers whom he hired at the 11th hour, the same amount 
as those who worked for him all day, was confronted by those angry workers who thought they were being treated unfairly and was persuaded by their arguments. So he took back nine-tenths of what he gave to the workers whom he hired at the 11th hour and said, verily, generosity sucks. So I shall give you guys what you earned and not a penny more, for the first shall be first, and the last shall be losers. Or what if the kingdom of God was really like a man who had a hundred sheep and one of them wandered off, but the man thought, I will not waste my time running after that ingrate sheep. Life's all about choices, pal, and you just made a bad one. I'm sorry, that's the way my mind works, folks. And by the way, good luck with the wolves out there. And he called his neighbors and said, Rejoice greatly with me, for my herd has just been culled. Or what if the kingdom of God was really like a good Samaritan who stopped to help an injured man on the side of the road? And a priest and a Levite hurried over to the Samaritan and said, What in the world do you think you're doing? And the Samaritan looked down at the bleeding man and looked up at the Levite and the priest and said, Is this a trick question or what? And they replied, As it is written, God helps those who help themselves. Blessed is the neighbor who lectures people in need on the virtues of self-reliance. Now, the sad thing today is that there are some churches who would not hesitate to defend the way I've retold these parables in a way that's completely opposite to their explicit point. But surely remixing parables just isn't a matter of relativism. You tell it your way, I tell it mine. I think the trick is... When you're using this parabolic imagination, when you bring the new treasures out of your storeroom to make the new treasures consonant, to make them consistent with the old treasures. For the kingdom of heaven is like the master of a household who brings out of his treasures both new and what is old. Now to illustrate, I'm going to do a little bit of a theological experiment here. Not really exegesis. I'm kind of experimenting. I pondered whether to do this this morning, but I figured Wes only asked me to preach once a year. Hopefully you'll forget about it by next August. (laughs) There was a man who had three sons, Luke, Harry, and Bruce. One day they came to their father and they said, Father, give us our share of the inheritance For you are old and crusty, and we are young and hip and full of good ideas on how to fix up the world. So don't be a stingy old git. Cut us in on our share of the loot. So the father liquidated some assets and gave them all platinum cards, and there was great rejoicing. Now the first son, Luke, entered the dangerous world of hardball politics. He learned well the weapons of the trade. When his opponents went low, he went lower. Until he got to the point where it was impossible to distinguish his tactics from the tactics of his enemies. Verily, the force was strong with this one. And he was in danger of being seduced by the dark side 
until one day his enemy actually whispered, Luke, I am your father. (laughs) But that was a lie. Because there's no fixing up the culture with a saber, even a righteous one, and mirroring the world's strategies. The second son, Harry, became a celebrity evangelist and faith healer. The crowds became so huge he would pack out sports arenas. Lo, he would mount up with wings like an eagle on his private jet and spread the good news of health and wealth and prosperity. And great crowds flocked to hear Harry and witness the many signs and wonders he did. And his amazed followers exclaimed, You're a wizard, Harry. (laughs) But that was a lie. Because there's no fixing up the culture with carnival hucksterism and spiritual snake oil. And truly, when people became bored with Harry, they moved on to find someone else with greater signs and wonders. The third son, Bruce, became a social media celebrity. He was a ubiquitous presence on Facebook and Twitter. Lo, his podcasts filled the interwebs, and he gave bleeding-edge talks at TED conferences on spirituality and leadership. He was the master of technology, of so many cool apps and gadgets on his phone that once in a moment of sheer self-absorption, he exclaimed, I'm Batman. (laughs) His followers thought he was the hero we deserve, not the one we wanted, or vice versa, or something similarly cryptic. But that was a lie. He was merely one more trendy social media celebrity basking in his 15 minutes. For verily, all the technology in the world won't give you substantial ideas, let alone truth. In the fullness of time, a mixture of sex scandals, plagiarism, and woolly-headed thinking eventually caught up with the boys and brought them down in turn. They ran out of luck and money, and lo, their cards were declined. But because none of them had actual marketable skills, they were reduced to taking unpaid internships in the warehouse of an online retail giant that shall go nameless. And they were so hungry that they longed to fill their bellies with the styrofoam peanuts and bubble wrap in the warehouse, and no one gave them anything. At last they came to themselves... And remember, they had three sisters living at home, whom they ignored for most of their lives and had nearly forgotten about. And Luke said, our sisters back in the father's house are enjoying Roku and have avocado toast to spare while we sit here eyeing bubble wrap. Let us arise and go to our father and say, Father, we have sinned against heaven and against you. We are no longer worthy to be called your sons. Treat us like your paid interns. So they set off and went back home. And when they were far off, the father saw them and ran out to meet them. They said, Father, we have sinned against heaven and against you. But the father cut them off and said to his servants, Quick, bring the fuzzy slippers, the little panda slippers that look like little bears on your feet. 
and break out the blender and let us make kale smoothies. For these sons of mine were idiots, and they found out that fixing up the culture isn't as straightforward as they thought it would be. Now, when the three sisters, Rachel, Monica, and Phoebe, (laughs) saw that their brothers had returned, they said, Father, these sons of yours are losers. They ruined your credit score, brought shame to your name, and for some reason they have bits of styrofoam stuck in their teeth. We've worked in your house together for years, mainly behind the scenes, and they barely acknowledge us. Yet when these young social media influencers and world changers return home, you break out the blender for them and probably want to give them their old corner offices back. But the father said, Rachel, Phoebe, Monica, you make a good point. And I wish someone had enough time for another sermon to address that. This is called breaking the fourth wall. Okay. But at the end of the day, we can't live in a divided house. Your brothers had to learn not to think of themselves according to the parables of this world. Luke had to learn to put away his lightsaber for all who take up the sword, even metaphorically, will perish by the sword. For our weapons are not the weapons of this world. Harry had to learn that only a wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign and that today's prosperity preacher and faith healer is tomorrow's laughingstock. And Bruce had to learn to stop tweeting and put his phone down. For although all things may be permissible, Not all things are helpful. And truly, I say to you that being a Christian media celebrity is one of the most vapid ambitions you can set your sights on. I hope they've learned their lesson. But if not, we have styrofoam peanuts at home, too. The father said this to his sons, I'm about to prepare a great banquet, and I want you all to learn the arts of welcome of forgiveness, of generosity, rather than trying to razzle-dazzle people with political might, signs and wonders, or gadgets. For people will be fixed up more by hospitality and mercy than by engaging in brutal culture wars, by spiritual carnival shows, or all the latest tech. And at the time of the banquet, he sent his sons to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. It's not just a story. May God bless you all richly this morning as you seek to bring out of your household treasures, both old and new, for the kingdom of heaven. Thank you so much for your kind attention.